All right, everybody, welcome back to the Weekly Bugle. I am your host, Jesse. And I'm the co-host, Tyler Johnson. Don't know why yes. I said my last name. <laughs> yeah, Tyler Johnson. New info on Tyler. So, yeah, and here on the Weekly Bugle, we talk about all things comic books, essentially the media, things we want to talk about with our friends and family, but they want to talk about shit like work. And this is our outlet, and we're assuming that it is yours as well. So let's get into our topic of today, which is episodes 5 and 6 of Daredevil Season 3. Keep in mind, these are going to be full spoilers. So if you haven't watched these episodes yet, I would recommend coming back to it. But yeah, let's go ahead and jump right in. And let's start with the beginning of episode 5. With uh, We get to see Dex in his apartment, uh, and he has some very... Uh, OCD-type tendencies, you know, fixing the mug, having everything in line. We even see that picture starting to tilt as he's exiting. He comes all the way back in just to fix it. And I don't necessarily think that he is OCD. I don't think that's what they're trying to get at here. I think what I took it as is his apartment is a little bit symbolic of his mental state. So at this point in the beginning of Episode 5, he's a lot more structured, a lot more orderly a lot more clean-cut, and as we go through the episodes, we start to see that apartment deteriorate as things get worse and worse for Agent Point Dexter, Agent Point Dexter's mental state. is. Uh, would you agree with that, Tyler, or do you think I'm on the right track? No, you're hitting the nail on the coffin. Or, uh, so, basically, I, I, I used to agree with everything you said. It's all written down here in my notes. The only thing I'd like to add on that subject is that um, his therapist, psychiatrist, I don't exactly know what she is. Maybe his guardian at the time. I'm going with psychiatrist. Yeah, okay. So she said something along the lines that, like, he needs to keep everything straight, like, narrow. Like, he, he his, like, uh, small living area should basically just be kept up to par. And I think that's also why he keeps it so clean and so neat and awkward you know where it's just not straight and that's why you know you did touch on the subject before he just he fixes it on his way out because he knew it moved because of how hard he closed the door or whatever uh but to finish that up i i just completely agree it's not ocd it's just him being a neat person right i agree and along with with a desk's mental I keep saying desk on accident. Correct me if I keep doing that. It's Dex. Yeah. Point Dexter. Sorry to everyone. I get just, dyslexic with his name for some reason. Just um, just imagine a desk running around, shooting people and belting bullets off things. You're making it worse. But <laughs> Agent Point Dexter, I'll just go with that. Point Dexter, we see Fisk going through his psych file, and we learn a lot more about Agent Point Dexter in this episode. And I would even deem this, you know, the, the bullseye episode just because we we don't even get our main character really through this. It's very, very bullseye heavy. And I I love this episode just going through his background. And since we're talking about uh, his mental state, Agent Point Dexter, we really see what caused him to get this way. Uh, very troubled childhood. We don't really see anything of his parents. But it is mentioned at one point that they died, and he name drops a couple times that they weren't exactly very good parents. They typically got mad at him, or they just weren't very 
attentive. He says something along those lines with Julie. I can't remember the exact word that he uses, but they they don't sound like they were great parents for him. Yeah. And so he leans on others quite a bit, especially through his his new psychiatrist. And we'll definitely be touching on her quite a bit because she really does set in place everything for Agent Point Dexter thus far. But yeah, so as Fisk is going through uh, Point Dexter's psych file, so yeah, we know he's an orphan. He is an orphan. He already has powers. We don't know the the background of those powers. Just I wouldn't yet. even call them powers. What would you call it? Um, a u- unique set of skills. Because they're not really powers. Like, he didn't get in any kind of accident that made him radiated or uh, gamma radiation or anything like that. He wasn't, like, a metahuman, like, in the DC world. He's not a mutant, like, you know, an X-Men. I just think he's, like, just a guy with, like, very good skills. And he's had them since he was born. Like, geometry just makes sense in his head kind of thing. Maybe. It could be. To me, a skill is something that can be learned. He is just 100% accurate at all time. He never misses, which makes me think there's a power. It could be very much along the lines of Hawkeye, where we don't really get an explanation for it. And, you know, it's just very accurate. They could go that route. I get the sense that I would imagine that they would want to touch on it. Maybe not. But, yeah, we don't know any kind of origin. So maybe it's not even worth arguing about. They may not even touch on it. But... I would. It seems to me that he has some sort of, some sort of power. So I guess we'll have to agree to disagree there. But I I'm don't fine. know how he would have gotten it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So yeah, because we see him, you know, throwing that baseball up against the, the orphanage wall, just very precisely to where he's like breaking in. And I would say too, it's, it's pretty powerful throws. I don't know if that that dent that he's making in the wall, I don't know if we're meant to think that he's throwing with such power that or, or if he's been doing that it's it for chipping so long. away. Exactly, yeah. yeah, that he's just been doing it for a very long time. I'm more inclined to think that it was just for a very long time. But I have seen yeah, others so hypothesize that he has some sort of stronger, I guess, somewhat overly human power, but I, I think it's just over time. But yeah, so... Along with this, we see uh, Point Dexter pitching in baseball. You know, he is throwing that no-hitter, which is a comic Easter egg of, I believe it was Bullseye's Greatest Hits, where he is a a A baseball pitcher. pitcher, Yeah, Yeah. and he essentially throws, he's throwing a no-hitter, and he gets bored and basically kills a, a batter with a baseball. So we get kind of a little roundabout easter egg here where he kills his coach with a baseball just out of anger Mm -hmm. and that brings us to the point where he starts seeing his new psychiatrist who diagnoses him with borderline personality disorder and psychopathic tendencies and borderline personality disorder just a very basic uh, outline it's just kind of showing his short temper and very lack of empathy that leads him over the down this road right exactly so we're definitely seeing that i think we hypothesized one of the previous episodes that he lacks empathy and we find out that that is true that is something that he struggles a lot with and this therapist does a great job of bringing him back kind of 
tells him that he hasn't learned that, that's something that others have learned. And she gives him this line that he uses all the time now, and that sounds really hard. I think I might have to use that too. <laughs> that's horrible. Um, but I like it. But touching on what you said, I just want to take a look at how uh, they showed it because I think it was a really different way and it was a cool way of how they showed uh, the flashbacks with Wilson Fisk going through the files. Um, he's reading that they, um, at the time Dex was throwing a ball against the brick wall, and so it goes cuts into the flashback. And there's the kid throwing the ball against the brick wall, and Wilson Fisk, Fisk walks up, and he's basically like watching and living in the flashback moment of not only when the kid's throwing the ball against the uh, the building, the wall, but also when he kills the the, the coach and when he is in... Not, I don't think he was in the psychology, but he was in there with the, uh, the game as well. So I just thought that was a neat way to do the flashbacks. Uh, I was just going to say yeah. the cinematography, like you said, was really well done. They very easily could have just done a standard flashback scene where we... Yes film them somewhere but instead they had it take place in Fisk's I don't know if we want to say prison slash apartment and yeah it's very interesting we get a little bit more of the symbolism of Fisk walking through Point Dexter's life mm -hmm. and yeah I thought it was really well done I thought it was a little bit risky because it seems like it's people some people really loved it like it sounds like we do and some people didn't like it. I guess it was just a little bit too... I don't know. I think they may have preferred a flashback. I liked it. I thought it was really well done. But um, go ahead with, with your point. He had oh, the yeah. bullseye symbol, which is kind of like a little Easter egg there. Um, you know, hinting at later in life he's going to become bullseye. But, uh, which, even at a young age, because we hadn't seen him at a young age throw anything and make it bounce. He, You pointed out his pinpoint accuracy throwing the ball at the wall for so long and hitting the same spot every time. But when he killed the coach, he just didn't throw the ball straight at the coach. He bounced it off a gate, and the gate actually bent when he bounced it off the gate to hit the coach. And I think it was the back of the head or the side of the head, which neck. which it was the neck. I think it was the side of the neck. Okay. At least that, that's what I saw. But I didn't notice that the, that the pole dented. So, yeah, he, he must have had he a lot of force. Thrown, Maybe he does what, have a little bit extra power. Which he has a little bit of strength, which cuts back to the, him throwing against the wall. Maybe he just started doing that, but he has a little bit of strength. So after the suicide hotline, we see more present day. Julie gets hired on at the hotel where Dex is working. Uh, we presumably by Fisk. And you know, to trigger something in Point Dexter. But Dex is not expecting it. Julie walks up, says it's her first day. He seems very surprised by it. And he's a little slow to start with... Hey, hey, you cut off, you cut off. died again. Yeah. That's you said... One. Yeah. You said he cut off... Uh, he cut off. You said that, uh, presumably by Wilson Fisk, and he seems like... And then it threw off. Okay. I'll, I'm just going to start over again. That's cool. So after the suicide hotline, we see Julie and Dex meet up again present day, but not the way Dex expected. We see her show up on her first day, 
at the bar at the hotel where Dex is working, presumably hired by Fisk. And she approaches Dex. They talk. She recognizes him from their days at the suicide hotline. He is very thrown off. But after finally shaking off the awkwardness, he does a good job of socializing with her. And they actually end up, she asks him to get a drink with him after her shift ends. So we see them talking. They're doing a good job. They have, you know, they seem to be hitting it off. He makes the whole stalker joke to act like he's not a stalker, which works well until he slips up and uh, says something, says things that he shouldn't know, such as the he worked there for a year, she worked there for three years. So he shouldn't know that she was there for three years. And he also mentions her doing ballet, another thing he shouldn't know. And once she gets the hint of that, she walks out on him, just like everybody else. And yeah, this sends Dex into a pretty deep spiral out of control. And uh, do you have anything to add on on with that? Um. Right. No, no, you hit everything on the point. I, uh, yeah, you hit it all on the head. He, um, he's known her since the hotline. He, uh, he's known her since the hotline, and he kind of messes up his first and only chance with her because he kind of showed her that he's been looking, looking at watching her from afar for those years they've been apart. You know, her trying out for ballet and her trying. I work at the suicide hotline for those years and what you said is that when she first popped up with him uh, he was kind of thrown off which I didn't really get I didn't think about that, that but that makes a lot of sense and it also makes sense that Wilson Fisk would have hired her um, I didn't think about that either uh, that I feel like that might be a little bit of a reach reach though just because Wilson Fisk read a lot about him but I don't know if he in Dex's files if it actually talks about everybody that he's met or people that he's had feelings for. Well, so that could be a little bit of a reach. Go ahead. Go ahead now. So it's, so it's, it's not, I think Dex actually knows that Fisk hired him or hired Julie because we see when Fisk gets the box of all of the psych information from Dex we can we can assume maybe Julie was mentioned in there, but they Fisk also has somebody tailing Point Dexter and taking pictures of him. We see pictures of Dex jogging yes. on the bridge, and we basically Fisk knows that Dex has been tailing or stalking Julie, so he is aware of that. We even see later in the episode, you know, Dex confronts Fisk's Fisk and says uh, basically that that hey, you know, you think you've you stalk me, you think you know me, you think I'm going to fall for some sort of basic honey trap, I think is what he says, referring to Julie being there. So I think he calls it out, and I think we can confirm that Fisk did, in fact, hire her. She even says that it was like double or triple her wage. Her page of his last job, yeah. Right. So I don't know what... And she could start immediately. I'm assuming... Fisk wanted this to happen is this break between Julie and Dexter because because it would rattle him it would send 
decks kind of off the deep end a little bit. Because you imagine what it, how tough that must be for Dex. You know, he's a stalker. He's not great, obviously. This this isn't good. But I did feel a little bit bad for him just because he's put her on such a pedestal. Yeah. He really does care about her. Uh, she's keeping him grounded. But they finally meet, and she very quickly doesn't accept him. She even mentions about Fisk, you know, should a killer like that get a second chance, which I think also mirrors Point Dexter in his mind. He took that to mean him as well, which, you know, he basically says, you know, you should believe that because you worked for the suicide hotline. Yes. But we can see Fisk even brings this up later, you know, because he's like a little bit of a love guru. He says if it was true, uh, meaning him and Julie, then nothing would have broken it apart. Exactly, kind of how he feels about him and Vanessa. Nothing's breaking them apart, but so, Julie so here's and Dex a just in his mind. Here's a question for you. So if Fisk did set it up, Fisk, he's not a future predictor. There's no way he could have known that Dex was, Dex was screwed. I, call, yeah, I called him Desk just now because of you. Um, <laughs> there's bad. no way Fisk would have uh, known Des, Dex. Jesus. <laughs> uh, there's no way... Uh, there's no way that Wilson Fisk would have known Bullseye would have messed it up with uh, Julie. So, do you think uh, Fisk met, arranged them meeting, basically, hoping that Dex would have hit it off and saying, like, look, I said what I did for you, but it kind of backfired, and that's when Fisk says, you know, if it was truly love, it would have worked. I think, I think, yeah, there's one of two ways it could have gone. At least in Fisk's mindset, I would say that he leaned toward expecting it to fail because there really is no substance there. This is entirely built up in Dexter's mind what they would have that she would Correct. accept him. So, But he does kind of lay it up and give Dex an opportunity to get what he wants. So, yeah, it could have gone one of two ways. They could have either... Dex and Julie could have hit it off. They could have fallen in love. They could have been together and been happy. Or it would have fallen apart like it did right before Dex's eyes, which I think was what Fisk intended to happen and what he hoped would happen. Mm-hmm. So I would assume that, yeah, he couldn't... I'm sure he didn't know that it was 100% going to happen, but I think he had a very strong idea that it would because he went I don't know when Dex goes and talks to him Fist seems to have thought a lot of this through in the fact that you know if it the that line about him saying if it was true it nothing would break it apart I think does mirror a lot of what he was going for and he is trying to come from a friendly perspective to Dex a little bit or at least in my opinion because he's really echoing or he's Speaking in terms of we're very similar, we come from the same background, we're we're the same in a sense. And, you know, if she, you need somebody who's going to accept you, Fisk says, I will accept you, I know you better, I'm not going to judge you, Julie did. Kind of basically summing up their conversation a little bit. Yeah, and it, just to point something out, this like is uh which my girlfriend pointed out this is right now is when 
when Fisk says that, Fisk becomes the North Star, I believe, for him. Right. He and I should Dex's point out North this Star. is what we're talking about is in episode six, Dex and, and Fisk having this conversation. So we are yes. a little bit ahead just for everybody that's kind of trying to keep track. But I think this does go in line together quite a bit. And just like you said, Fisk is setting himself up. Julie essentially removes herself as Dex's North Star. North Star correct. Fisk starts to starts to take over that role. And yes. I think we will definitely touch on that a little bit more as well. But um, to kind of finish up with, with Dex for episode three uh, episode five, we get, you know, after the hotel where Julie leaves and runs off, Dex goes back to his uh, apartment. You know, we were talking about how the apartment is kind of symbolic for his mental state. We get a lot of good cinematography here where he starts to break things. The camera starts spinning in a really disorienting, kind of nauseating way, at least for me. And, yeah, we just see it shaking. Everything's all over the place. And, yeah, everything that was structured and in place properly is getting broken. We even see him throw a knife perfectly right into the picture. Yeah, Julie's forehead, which I don't know how you felt about that. It seemed like... You know how Dex earlier in his life would say, like, I want to punish you for, for leaving me. It's kind of yeah. doing that in a symbolic way with this knife into Julie's picture. But Dex seems kind of horrified at himself for a minute after he does it, and he immediately starts to play his tapes. But do you think he has impulse still to go after Julie? Um, before I answer that, I just want to point out that the, uh, his therapist did tell him that when he felt like he was getting unhinged and starting to spiral to go back and listen to the tapes from the beginning because she recorded every session on VHS tapes, not VHS tape, on cassette tapes. Right. So, uh, so that he can tell our, uh, the progress that he has made. So that's when he puts on the, the headset and listens to the cassette tapes and kind of just like it makes him relax a little bit. Um, you know, I guess before I answer that question again, he still sees that therapist as his North Star. I guess he was trying to work to transition Julie to becoming his North Star, which he kind of whole fucked that up completely. And that's when he maybe he moves to look towards Fist to becoming his North Star. Now, to answer your question, I I don't think that uh, Desk De- Dex will kill uh, kill uh, Julie or even go after her just because he hopefully he. More than likely, because I feel he's still going to see her as something maybe he can have uh, some kind of relationship with. He messed it up the first time, but, you know, maybe he can try it again and be like, hey, you know, I apologize for the other night. I didn't come off straight. I um, I just did a background check on you just to see if, you know, you're the Julie from this, and that's when everything else popped up. And um, I, did, I wasn't completely honest, but from here on out, I'll be honest. Maybe if he'd give that little spill... It's very generic, and it's, but it's like all TV shows do it, and as soon as that happens, that significant other are hoping of the significant other becomes like, oh, I understand, you know, you had a troubled life, your parents died, and then, you know, that's when that happens. So I don't think he's going to go after Strike trying to kill her, at least not right away. Now, if she turns him down a second time, then I think he'll go after her and try and kill her. Those are all good points. I also don't think that she's going to be in his crosshairs anymore. I 
I would say I don't think he's going to go back and try to work things out with her. You might be right. I would. My point is more when we talk about episode six, so I'll I'll mention it then. But I would agree. I think I think the anger is all very impulsive in that moment. Yes. So I think once he used those tapes to bring himself back, I think that's kind of set back. And his mind is going to be transitioned a lot more towards Fisk and other things now. And I think Julius I agree with that really too. hit the back burner. So uh, was there anything else you wanted to add with, with Dex? Because there's a few more things in this episode uh, we should touch on. Um, no, no, no. I think we've hit, we've hit every point with Dex. Okay, cool. I could talk about Dex all day, man. And luckily, we have episode six to still talk about him. So I'm very happy <laughs> with that. We've had a lot of Agent Point Dexter. But I think next we'll talk about more... Let's start with Karen and what she's been up to this episode. She's uh, right. been showing up quite a bit as well. But so we first see her... We first see her trailing Felix Manning. And, you know, Karen is often very, well, very confronting. Not not aggressive, but she is very forward about getting answers and getting to Knowing where Knowing the wants. truth. Exactly. Correct. So she goes after Felix with all this information, basically throws it out there, like, hey, I know who you are. Just tell me something, you know. And we see Felix Manning for the first time isn't shook at all. He was ready for it, and for the first time... In a long time, get Karen, Karen got truly, yeah, it totally backfired, and she was very paranoid. But yeah, basically, Felix threatens Karen using her family. He has their address, and yeah, he knows that. And now we know Karen used to be a drug addict, which essentially, I guess, yes. we can assume maybe led to her brother's death in some way. But yeah, so he he brings out some big guns and. Yeah, really puts her on the back foot, and she leaves. I really thought those people following her after that scene were his men. But um, but yeah, we see that the cops are also looking for Karen, and they take her back to back to Matt's apartment, where we where yeah, Nadim is waiting, and he is questioning quite a bit. Uh, so just to kind of take a little bit of a a background, I'll, I'll step back and talk about you know last episode episode four we were missing well matt murdoch we last saw was stuck in this taxi heading straight into the river and yes. it seems that he he did break out it is very very born again like we don't see him escape or there's no explanation of how he escapes just kind of it looked like the uh, the front windshield was bashed in and yeah i i also love this this line the way that they do it from donovan fisk's lawyer because in the Born Again comic, in Fisk's internal monologue, you know, he's reading like a, um, basically like the press release or whatever, saying no corpse was found, like there was no corpse. And he repeats itself like twice. But we get Donovan doing it where he says there was no corpse. And he says it again, there was no corpse. But they make it kind of a joke where Fisk is like, yeah, I heard you. Stop saying it. I don't know. I just thought it was funny. I thought it was a neat little Easter egg they had. I thought I thought he said that just because Donovan thought Fisk wasn't listening or didn't hear that again because he didn't acknowledge it. That's why I thought he repeated it. I didn't re I didn't read Born Again, so I didn't know 
that was like a little bit of an Easter egg. So that that is a cool little fact. Yeah, it was like a little Easter egg joke. I thought it was funny because, yeah, he does say it twice for the time Donovan does it. But yeah, so we know that that Matt escaped and he has gone back to his apartment as evidenced by Nadim finding Matt's wet clothes from the river on the floor. And they're investigating, they're checking out his whole apartment. They bring Karen in and Nadim goes in pretty quick on confronting Karen and questioning her on her involvement with Daredevil. Well, sorry, not Daredevil, with Matt. Nadim does not know that Matt is Daredevil, but Fisk has stated at this point that Matt was like an old associate or that used to do all these shady dealings for him. Yeah, he leads a double life. Right, exactly. So they think he's a criminal. Nadim has Matt on his radar now. And yeah, this is causing a lot of problems because now, you know, they have to keep Matt as Daredevil still a secret, but he's also but also pointing out that Fisk is lying. Matt isn't working for him, but there's a lot of little things here. Primarily the big thing with Karen and Wesley, which for those of you that maybe don't remember from season one, Karen was captured by Wesley and he basically makes the dumb move of leaving a loaded gun within reaching distance of Karen and she shoots him. I believe she says she shoots him seven times. The last just we saw to, of that oh go ahead. Just to add, Wesley was uh Kingpin Wilson Fisk like right hand man. That was when Wilson Fisk wasn't uh people didn't say his name and people were not allowed to say his name actually. And Wesley basically did all of Kingpin's undermining, or he did all Wilson Fisk's day-to-day matters of buying stuff, talking to people, holding meetings. So Wesley essentially was like an extension of uh, Kingpin. But go ahead and continue. That was right, just for exactly. our, our listeners that hadn't, had not seen season one or completely forgot about who Wilson Fisk was. No, Wesley was. Right, exactly. And I, I would like to point out, too, it seems like Felix Manning is taking up the mantle of Wesley's old job for Fix. Fisk. Um, so. Real quick, I don't remember. This is the first time I've seen Wesley Manning, correct? Or Felix Manning? Yeah, he's yeah, been, yeah, Felix he's been name-dropped a few times. I think they've mentioned that he's the one that's moving Vanessa from place to place. Yes. And he's also the that. one that, yeah, that picks up uh, Dex later on in Episode 6. He's a little more intimidating than Wesley, though. Wesley was a, yeah. like... Looks to be like a generally nice guy. Well, very sophisticated, very yes. respectful. Well, but Manning very is stern. more of like Manning is more of a sinister kind of evil. I'm gonna get this done the clean way or the dirty way, but it's gonna get done, Kingpin. Yeah, very straightforward and uh, very very scary. Yeah, Felix Manning is a lot more intimidating in my opinion uh, from just a little bit that we've seen him. But back with with Wesley. It seems like Fisk has given Nadim information on when Wesley went and proposed a, a to put Nelson and Murdoch on retainer, and they essentially, without really knowing it, accepted money from Fisk. And I'm I love that they're bringing this point up from season one. You know, this could have yeah. easily been forgotten, could have easily been brushed over, but yeah, they're they're digging up these old 
kind of loose ends or different loopholes from season one and really putting the pressure on these characters. So, yeah, we see Karen being pushed there. She's nervous about them pushing too far into Wesley because they may find out that she killed him. And even even with Matt, you know, there's some really tough questions. It's We see Karen struggling here. She, I think she holds her own good enough, but her answers aren't really shaking Nadim off. You know, when he's asking, why are you paying his rent? You know, you haven't seen him in a long time. You trust yeah. your blind friend has gone missing and you aren't doing anything about it. So, yeah, really tense. But I do like that she kind of flips it on Nadim and says, hey, you know, you're being played. Check out this guy, Felix Manning. You know, it's weird. You're, asking- you're building that you're holding Fisk in is owned by Fisk. And I think Nadim is a little bit rattled by that. We don't see it, but it's just a little bit. Good acting on on his part. And just to kind of show that he's considering it, he's thinking, okay, maybe there's something that I am missing, but he's still very set on Matt Murdock. And he, um, go, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, I, finish, go ahead. I didn't, I was going to ask if you wanted to talk about Foggy now. Or if you no, no, I want... I wanted to add a little bit on Karen and the Ray conversation because Ray basically was Ray basically was interviewing Karen in Matt's apartment, um, which I don't think you, I heard you mention that Matt had wet clothes from the uh, Matt had wet clothes from the uh, the Perfect. taxi cab incident. Yeah, in the in his apartment, so they knew he was recently there. Right. Anyway, um, so Ray was interviewing Karen. And Karen is answering all of the questions until I guess she hit a wall or like, you know, she hit her breaking point. And she she uh, started asking Ray question, which idiotically he started answering these questions because he's supposed to be leading the charge. And then he started answering them. And that's when she did point out that Wilson Fisk did buy the hotel a week or something ago. And and then he didn't say anything about that. And then she said that he owns this company and that company. She said, you're asking all these questions, but you're asking the wrong questions, which I thought was like a strong Karen moment because as all of our viewers know from listening to the first episode of the Weekly Bugle, remember to subscribe every Saturday we drop an episode, that uh, Karen uh, always seemed weak to me. I never liked the Karen character, so this was a shining point that, in my eyes that for Karen just to stand up for herself and seem tougher than she, what she actually is. Because I've always seen Karen as this weak character. Uh, I also want to add that you you mentioned about how Manning said that he knew about Karen's drug abuse from the past. Which is a bit of an Easter egg because, like I said in episode one of the Weekly Bugle, that he uh, she does commit suicide with heroin, I believe. It was heroin or was it coke? She, she doesn't commit suicide, but she does she ODs, get... ODs. Yeah, she's yeah. she's very deep into drugs, and that's what leads her to give up Matt Murdock's secret identity. Yeah, in the so born she, again comic. So that is like a little bit of an Easter egg. We I don't know if we'll get to see her use the drugs later on in uh, in this season or in future seasons if we're lucky to have future seasons. But uh, that was a little, another little Easter egg that they did touch on. Go ahead and transition. I think you wanted to transition to Foggy now, right? Yeah, I wanted to talk about Foggy because 
Nadim hits up Foggy next for questioning. Kind of crashes Foggy's party he has going on at the at his family's butcher shop where they're trying to promote Foggy for DA. And yeah, Foggy making good strides. He's getting people to come up. And I ever see that one lady already put in her vote for Foggy. So it's good to see that people believe in him, that he will make a difference and they have confidence in him. But yeah, before you, Nadim, before you get too far off of that, I just want to add that a lot of those people that were in the butcher shop in Foggy's little uh, get-together, they actually knew Foggy. And it seemed like they knew Foggy from, like, not just, like, now, but, like, maybe as a child. Because she, uh, I, I just had a feeling about that. But go ahead. No, you're right. That's true. I didn't catch that. That could have been a lot of, just based on the establishment of it being, like, a family butcher shop, just smaller scale. Yeah. A lot of neighborhood people, a lot of old, old friends. Repeat customers. Yeah, exactly. And, yes, and they're giving out free meat, so that works, too. Everybody likes that. And But, yeah, so Nadim comes in, starts questioning, so we see the place clear out. I, well, I don't know if it clears out because Nadim wants to talk or if Nadim just waits for everyone to leave. But, basically, they start talking, and... I was nervous for Foggy after seeing how tense it was for Karen and Nadim, but Foggy, we again see how good of a lawyer he is. I, yeah, immediately felt different. I felt a lot more confident for Foggy because he immediately, you know, starts, you know, dodging. He uses his lawyer expertise to really flip things on Nadim, dodge questions he doesn't want to ask or answer, and. He has a, he has a hey, lot you of cut out, you cut out, you, you cut out. Where? You said he dodged questions he doesn't want to answer. Yeah, he dodges questions he doesn't want to answer, and yeah, he's he's really using his his lawyer skills to good use. But he's also very honest and upfront with Nadim, you know, saying, "Oh yeah, I met Matt at a bar two days ago. We, you know, he apologized." But Nadim also points out that Matt used his uh, Foggy's bar ID to sneak into that prison. So I think Foggy can now assume that Matt took his wallet. So, but he still remains very firm, very loyal to to Matt and, and working through this. I also like the point Nadim, as we mentioned a couple episodes ago, is very motivated by uh, deaths of cops, which I really like. I like that those deaths aren't for nothing, they're not just plot devices. Nadim is very motivated yeah. by them. He talks about yeah. a lot of cops died in that prison riot that Matt well, was kind of a part of. You cut out. You said he talks about about cops, and then it went in and out. Um, I don't remember where that was. I'm just so. It, yeah, like, you said Nadim's motivated by the deaths of the cops. Oh, it cut out a long time ago. Okay. No, that uh, wasn't that long ago. That just happened. You just unless like I'm getting it like seconds later or something. Maybe I'll just I'll just go back with that thought. So uh, we still see Nadim is motivated by the by cop deaths, and he brings up that a lot of good cops died in that prison riot that Matt was a part of, or that prison that Matt snuck in to. So I like to see that those those deaths aren't just forgotten. They're not just plot devices. They are fueling Nadim to get to get answers, but Nadim unfortunately is still chasing the wrong guy. Yeah. So 
but yeah, I love that Foggy handles it well. And we still see, I think Nadim is still kind of teetering on, you know, am, am I being played a little bit? And we definitely see them continue this, this fight as we, as we go further into episode six. But to finish off episode three, we'll talk about the small cameo from our main character at the end of the episode, where we see Matt stumble into his apartment after escaping from the taxi in the river. But just a couple of things I want to point out from there. When Matt takes off, you know, all the wet clothes and he kind of falls on the ground and just lays there, I noticed he was wearing the crucifix that Sister Maggie has yes. continually been putting in his room. So I think we can take that to mean Matt's kind of rising from the depths a little bit. Well, I guess from the river too, to maybe... Two means there, but and not in, not intentionally, but yeah, he's he's rising back up. I think he's getting his faith back a little bit more to the point to where now he's trusting it. He's wearing that crucifix, and but yeah, so he also wakes up just in time to hear that the FBI is coming after him, and he sneaks mm-hmm. up to the rooftop. So presumably, we know that he can hear all the, you know, the conversations that the the cops are having. Uh, I think the cops say that Matt Murdock is armed and dangerous. Something which, like know, that. Puzzles Matt, for sure. And I guess we, I don't know if he was there for when Karen shows up, but he could possibly have heard that conversation as well. But um, was there anything else you wanted to add for episode five? Or? Um, just that uh, when Foggy was talking to Ray, uh, uh, you did mention that Foggy was having his little lawyer mumbo jumbo spill, and mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting just because Ray was asking one-sided questions, which Foggy was quick to point out. And he was quick to point out that it was not an interrogation and that it was more like entrapment. And uh, I also wanted to add that Ray did order six sandwiches, with Foggy, which Foggy ended up delivering in episode six. That is true. I was it's glad little- that... He did get those sandwiches and that he actually paid for them. Well, I don't know if he paid for them. Well, that's true. I think, never seen I, think he, I think he just said six sandwiches just to get his foot in the door. Maybe. Maybe Foggy was just being a smartass. So we're going to go ahead and jump into episode six, and we're going to start at the beginning where Karen finally gets to see Matt face-to-face, although she picks up on it pretty quick. Matt just needs something from her. But yeah, so Matt has introduced himself to Foggy, but now we see him sneaking into Karen's apartment to ask a favor to basically investigate Jasper Evans. And I think we can assume Karen is Matt's new Ben Urich, in my opinion, because we saw him using Ben Urich quite a bit to, you know, investigate and bring things to light through the bulletin. And I think Matt sees, uh, I think Karen has taken that place for Matt. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, since we're talking about it, I just want to I want to point out that, you know, unlike Foggy, Matt was wearing his Black Daredevil outfit, which I thought was interesting just because it was broad daylight and it Karen had just woken up. So it was morning, basically, because Karen had just woken up. Um, also, there's some tension between Karen and Matt. Not not just because Matt didn't show up for 
months on months, but because uh, he's kind of exiled Foggy and Karen, and Karen probably feels like the odd man out because Matt went to go see Foggy, but he didn't go see Karen. And uh, I just, I get that feeling because Karen mentions that he needs to pay her back uh, X amount of months, but she didn't mention it once, but she mentioned it twice. So I just feel like, you know, she uh, just, she's angry with Matt. And to point out what you, uh, play on what you said about the, uh, um, I'm going to cop that out. To point out what you said about the, uh, oh, you just said it. What did I bring up? Jasper Evans? <laughs> yes. And to point out what you said about Jasper Evans, uh, he, he just went there for that. He just went to use her once again. Matt's a, uh, he just continuously uses his friends or what he calls his friends. Yeah, I agree. Karen, definitely not very friendly in this scenario, but I can't fully blame her. I still oh, think definitely not. Yeah. I don't think Matt would have shown himself to foggy or Karen if he didn't need them in any scenario. And yeah, Karen's definitely picking up on that. She does mention twice that he needs to pay her back. So she's, it's definitely isn't a, a friendly interaction. And I think she, in this moment, she has no intention of helping Matt. I think she feels definitely betrayed that he hasn't, that he's taken so long to show himself. And almost like yeah. an addiction type thing, he, he needs something and he's kind of using his friends, like you said. So, but yeah, eventually we do see that she agrees to help, but not not because of... She didn't even she didn't even agree to help. She actually said no. She did. She was not going to help him. But later in the episode, which I'm sure we're going to hit, she actually does end up helping him, but not by necessarily. Uh, but she didn't want to. Foggy kind of convinced her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Foggy is surprisingly open to helping Matt out still, even though Matt hasn't been been the best friend so far. So, and I guess we can talk about that a little bit i know last or a couple episodes you mentioned foggy not you know um not being loyal to matt by you know telling karen that matt's alive but i was surprised to see how loyal foggy still is to matt even though foggy now knows that matt stolen his wallet you know yeah used his identity to get into that prison he's you know lied about being alive or, or kept that a hidden fact so, but through all this, Foggy is telling Karen that they need to stick around him. They need to, you know, keep him close because he's still their friend. And yeah, I think he's the reason, Foggy's the reason that Karen agrees to do any kind of investigating uh, for Matt. I don't know that she would have done it otherwise, even though Karen, she, she may still have just because she always wants to get to the bottom of these stories. But I think we also see Sister Maggie later echo the same thing that Foggy's saying is, you know, she's saying you gotta, I think Sister Maggie said something along the lines of the more Matt pushes away, you gotta pull him closer or something like that. So we're yeah. seeing, so we're seeing her getting told this a couple different times, which I think kind of sets her in line to, support matt more than she was originally willing to um just to play on what you said that um 
Foggy did, uh, when he was talking to Karen in the car, he, uh, Karen said she wasn't going to help Matt, and Matt just kept saying, like, you know, no matter what, at the end of the day, we have to be there for him. We're still his friends. Uh, he said, but, you know, basically we need to make stipulations now. Like, hey, if we're going to help you, if we're going to stick our neck out for you, this is what you're going to do. And he told uh, he told Karen to tell Matt that if she does help him find Jasper Evans, then he needs to turn himself into the FBI, which we'll later discuss that he actually does do that as well. Or he says he's going to do that, which I right. guess he does do. Yeah, even the, the plan at first sounds like a big ask to say that Matt needs to turn himself in for them to really go forward along with this. It, it makes more sense later when Foggy's plan, it seems to make, it, it makes sense because they can use Jasper Evans basically to exonerate Matt, showing that Kingpin, uh, Wilson oh. Fisk has been lying and, and go ahead. Absolutely. And, um, just to touch on that, it's, it, when they said it, I was like, whoa, you can't do that. Like, that's Matt's your boy. Matt's your best friend, Foggy. Karen, Matt saved you how many times? Like, you're Matt's love interest how many times? And then all of a sudden, you want the, you want to turn him into the FBI? I got very emotional during that. Not emotional, but I got very upset. That just because we both, we look at them as Matt's closest friends, or his closest alive, you know, confidants or whatever. And for them to want to turn have Matt turn himself into the FBI sickened me but later on you it actually makes sense which we're going to discuss later on but go ahead yeah it it does and i think they're feeling very under pressure as well with nadim investigating matt and they're essentially accomplices depending on how far this goes so yeah if they can clear matt's name that'll essentially clear their name as well karen's gonna definitely want that too because that'll halt any further investigation into wesley which could also yes. trace back to her so, yeah, I think it's in their best interest to clear his name. And I, I had the same reaction you did at first, as I thought that was a terrible thing to try to ask, is for Matt to just yeah. turn himself in. But it, it makes sense that they are allowing Matt to turn himself in, in the it, just because he's going to not go to jail. They're going to use Jasper Evans to pretty much clear him immediately. Yeah. Which isn't exactly working out anymore but uh, that's something we can speculate speculate on further as we get into the episode as well but um i think sticking with with karen a little bit we see as we learned previously with a uh, felix manning in episode five karen used to be a drug addict and we see her putting this this knowledge to use to infiltrate where evans is hiding out in his drug lair uh, we see her go to this underground place. She seems to be asking all the right questions, using the right terminology. Uh, I, I don't know much about it, so just, yeah, drug expertise. She's able to to stay the, or pay extra to stay there and crash or pass out. But so let me put my tube in because I am a drug expert. Oh, okay, perfect. No, I'm just joking. I'm not a drug expert for our listeners. Oh, but uh, you <laughs> No, no, no. I'd have to Google everything. I just wanted to make a good joke there. Oh. But go ahead and continue. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so yeah, she uses all this, all this knowledge to get in there and start looking for Jasper Evans, who in turn finds her asking about him. 
So not as sneaky as she wanted to be. Luckily, it seems like Matt was tailing her. I'm assuming he was just kind of hanging out around that area. I would assume that maybe he was just listening and kind of following Karen from a distance to kind of see where she's been. Or maybe he was watching Evans himself and noticed that she came. But That's yeah, either I, way, he shows up. That's what you think, too. Yeah. Yeah, he, he shows up at the last minute to save her from Evans and what was that, Evans' son? From yes. hurting her. And so we basically find out Jasper Evans made a deal to stab Fisk, you know, non-lethally. In return, Evans gets to go free. So the cops all think that he's in solitary confinement. But actually, he's gone. He's free. And so Evans, I think, is trying to clear his name. I don't think he... I think he's feeling the pressure a little bit. He doesn't want to go back to jail. He wants to do something good for his kid. I don't think they want to be on the run. So he's willing to speak with Karen at the bulletin to basically confess and say everything. And I think Fisk is getting wind of this somehow. And yeah, he is. And we see that play out as well. But, yeah, so he's willing to go to the bulletin. Everything's kind of working out. And I think from there, I'm going to, unless you have any further points on any of yeah, this scene. Do you? I okay. do. Um, when you were saying about how Karen got into the house, infiltrated it with her knowledge of uh, drugs, I just, it's just, the writing is so amazing because it's like little points how uh, Manning mentioned that she used to be a drug addict. And then all this, an episode, I think it's later in this episode or the next episode. When did he mention it? Episode 5? Right, episode 5. Episode 5, he mentioned it. And then in episode 6, all of a sudden, she's in a drug, in a crack house. Like, the writing is so great on this show, where they just kind of slide that in. And, like, all of a sudden, you're like, man, how does she know about all these drugs? And then you think back, you know, Manning mentioned it. I just wanted to point out, give nod to the writers on how great that is. No, I think but, that's great. Yeah. But also, I just wanted to mention, talk about how... Uh, he he was looking for Manning, and she was excuse me. She was looking for Manning, but I think uh, Daredevil Matt was act, he actually knew where Manning was this entire time. He just wanted to use Karen to infiltrate this place to see if she would actually help. Maybe it was more of like a trust test to see if she he still had her on his side because obviously Foggy's still on his side. Foggy's you know talking to him, and he didn't call him in once he stole his wallet. And things like this. And lastly, I just wanted to say how uh, during this scene after Matt basically saves Karen once again, that Karen says, you know, after this, you need to turn yourself into the FBI. And without any kind of hesitation, Matt just agreed completely, saying it was the smart move. He understands and that it was to clear his name. So he, he saw once he saw that. It was to better not only himself, Karen, and Foggy. That's when my uh, I kind of took a step back and I was like, "Okay, I can see where Foggy and Karen were going at," but I I needed Matt to tell me that. I didn't want to just go with what Karen and Foggy said. Yeah, now that it's kind of a mutual agreement and they're all accepting it, yeah, it makes it a lot easier. If Matt thinks it's a good idea to turn himself in, I can I can roll with that. I feel a little bit better about that. So, also in the early part of the episode, uh, let's talk a little bit more about 
Agent Point Dexter and his terrible, terrible day. So we first see him, you know, trying to sleep. He's tossing and turning, sweating up a storm in there. And uh, yes. I like how the the cinematography again is working with Agent Point Dexter as we see it spinning around as he's tossing and turning out of control. And when he sits up, the camera has flipped upside down. To me, that kind of says, you know, he's spiraling, spinning out of control. And when he gets up, you know, his world is just totally upside down, which yeah. is just going to lead to him just... It, it, was, it was a rough day for Dex as we see him go into work early. I think this is just because work is his main structure. I think that kind of keeps him in Same. line, gives him something to do. So we see him go to work early, I think, to just kind of ease his mind. While this is going on, it also seems like Wilson Fisk is, his prison is becoming a lot more like home. We get the classical music playing, we get all his paintings and house it stuff. It becomes furnished. Yep, exactly. And I think those are all his things that are being moved in. And now we see him wearing his classic white suit, like from the comics. And yeah. I want to point out, he has the... He has the white suit, but he's wearing black underneath, and I think that color tone is kind of symbolizing the purple uh, outwardly that he is showing that he's like a good exterior, but oh, on yes. the inside, it's it's still very dark as we would come to expect. Great point. So, so yes, yeah, so we're seeing, yeah, things are getting better and better for Fisk. Uh, things are getting worse and worse for for Dex, but um. But yeah, so we also get, we kind of touched on it when we were talking about episode five a little bit, but this conversation that Agent Point Dexter and Fisk have, and, you know, after everything falls apart with Julie, Dex is pretty eager to call Fisk out and kind of just see what, what Fisk is up to. And yeah, basically, as we, we mentioned earlier, Fisk is displaying that they are very similar they both, you know, killed someone at a young age. They, you know, the world is against them. And I think it doesn't, if, I think Dex is listening to him more than he would like to. But I think Fisk's words really ring true to Point Dexter when his um, co-worker shows up or his partner or, you know, a fellow cop shows up with that newspaper yeah. basically making Point Dexter the scapegoat potentially in uh, the whole Fisk situation. Is there, they're throwing him under the bus or he's being investigated. It seemed like something leaked and information was given out to the press about Point Dexter not being fully truthful on his report. For, yeah. Because I know when, when he was talking to the, the police officers or the people that were investigating, when they were telling him, you know, hey, just consider it a paid vacation. Don't worry about it. We're going to figure out who leaked this. It makes me wonder if maybe Fisk somehow leaked that information as well to kind of, you know, make things worse and kind of push Dex to the limit. Did you get that vibe at all? Um, that's a good point. I That's something, honestly, I didn't think about. I didn't think that Wilson Fisk leaked it. Um, it's a great point, though. Um, you rushed through all that, so I didn't get to add anything Bye -bye. about... Uh, no, it's fine. I didn't get to add anything about the um, when Dex woke up. 
I thought it, Dex had, um, he woke up, it was spiraling, he went to his closet, and he grabbed a handgun, and I thought, you know, the amount of guns he had, no, let me back up, he went to his closet, and opened, flipped his clothes back, uh, slung them, you know, side to side, and he, there was a ton of firearms back there, there was a handful of handguns, shotguns, assault rifles, all kinds of things, and uh, he went and grabbed his gun, so I thought that was a little odd that he had a uh, huge amount of firearms. Well, I think he grabbed his uh, his tape his, from, yes, that, yes. from that safe. Yeah, I think he grabbed a handgun, too, though. Maybe. I, I know I noticed the um, the tapes that he pulled out of there in his safe. But, he, yeah, maybe I missed he may have pulled a handgun, too. Um, you, I know he has one right. later in the episode. Yes, which we're going to hit just in a second. Right. Um, but yeah, right. Uh, Fisk's house is being furnished, and the classical music's playing. And another thing you mentioned is you did you uh, talked about how Fisk is this great guy on the outside, which is white, his shining armor, and his soul and heart's this blackness. Which I, I I didn't think about that either. That's a great metaphor for the uh, the show to put in there. Um, but uh, the next thing you mentioned that I wanted to talk about was. Uh, you said Fisk is um, playing or leaked the information, and I didn't think about that. That's just a good point that you uh, that you had. I didn't have that round. I didn't even get that nod or think about that. Oh, thanks. So, do do you think that's a possibility then that he did oh, leak that or that, you know pay someone to do that? Yeah, yeah. Now that you do, it's possibly it looks more unlikely more likely that he did just because it's easier to get. Uh, you know, what uh, Dex off his, you know, his path and getting him more on his side just because he does have a set of skills that Fisk does like and wants to use. Right. And do you want to keep, so Dex kind of disappears for a little bit until more towards the end of the episode, not, you know, in, in the big way that we'll get to. But um, do you want to talk about that now or do you want to kind of save that for a little bit? Um, well, do you have anything else you want to hit before we hit that last uh, great scene? Well, maybe maybe a little bit about Nadim, just briefly. But, um, yeah, then maybe maybe some speculation. Well, so what I want to talk about with Nadim is, is basically him struggling with this idea. So him and Foggy meet up, and Foggy basically tells him that Matt's willing to turn himself in. But only if Nadim listens to Jasper Evans' Correct. You know, testimony. So, which Nadim agrees to, but he Nadim is aware that Jasper Evans ha- is the guy that stabbed this uh, and is supposed yes. to be yeah in solitary. And he makes a few calls, and he realizes that Jasper Evans is not in solitary, and we they have no idea where he is. So we can see Nadim kind of, you know, panicking a little bit because now he's starting to think, you know, maybe Karen was right. Are we? Am I getting played? And all of this right at the exact same time that he's told he's getting a promotion, you know, the thing that he's been chasing for his career, yes. all because of this whole deal with Fisk that the police are now overlooking his financial situation because they think he really is, is the key. Yeah, exactly. And this could all go out the window if this whole Jasper Evans thing, you know, is true. 
So we see Nadim very conflicted here because obviously he, he's a good guy and he wants he wants the truth, he wants justice and obviously he's not going to want to like sweep Jasper Evans under the rug or anything, but also he's been fighting really hard for this career the whole time. So yeah, so now he's kind of stuck in the middle between his promotion and doing the right thing. But um, with that, do you think if Nadim finds out that Fisk is playing him, do you think you know he may try to sweep that under the rug? Um, no, I don't. I think if Nadim figures out he's playing him, or that if that does come up, I think Nadim's gonna you know he's gonna tell the FBI just because. Nadine is such an honest and good cop that we've seen over and over again. And as you mentioned in the episode, Nadine is, um, he's letting his, uh, basically his fallen brothers with the FBI kind of lead his charge on trying to figure out who the real Matt Murdock is. Is uh, Fisk actually, no, that's not even want to point, who's Matt Murdock or everything that's going on. Yeah, do you think, yeah, I, I'm wondering what will happen with Nadine too, because it seems like he could go in so many different directions at this point. I know he's, you know, he's still on on Fisk's side, or he's trusting the intel that he's getting from Fisk. But it makes me wonder if eventually, you know, Nadine will realize that Fisk has been playing him. But at that point, it may be too late. Maybe we see Nadine and Daredevil working together. Maybe the roles like completely flip. Or, I mean, who knows? It's it's really interesting watching him go through this because I, I have no idea where he's going to go throughout um, the just, season. Just to hit back on um, uh, Faggy and Foggy and Ray's conversation, conversation um, when after the conversation, Nadine Ray went to go speak to his boss, and they, uh, they said it was a bluff. So until right. he did call the warden and speak to him, and they've been looking for him for a little bit. Well, I think they still thought it was a bluff, even, or at least his, um, you know, the person in charge of Nadine, I think she still assumed it was a bluff. And I don't know how she's dismissing the the whole Evans missing from solitary. I think they're just kind of hoping for the best at this point. But um, um, Nadine's boss, Nadine's boss, maybe she works for Fisk. Yeah, no, we just thought because, about that. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but go ahead. We can go ahead and transition to the next scene, which yeah. is Dex. He's uh, he's sitting there, and he has a gun on the table, and he's basically debating committing committing suicide. And uh, the gun's in his mouth. He's going to pull the trigger. He's basically thinking about how he messed up everything with Julia. He's thinking about uh, he's about to get fired from the FBI because he suspended his, you know. His whole life, basically, this life that he's perfected and tried to create, is just went down the drain within 48 hours. And he's going to pull a trigger, and his phone rings. And what do you know? It's Fisk basically becoming his North Star again. What do you think about that? That yeah, whole scene? I, yeah, I thought this was great. I think one thing about Dex we haven't mentioned this episode is that he he's hearing – these voices the whole time throughout the whole episode episode the episode he is getting plagued with you know all these different you know words of dialogue of things that have gone wrong you know with different things that julie was saying or different things that he's 
you know, his, his mind is just going crazy. And yeah, we see him on the brink of, of shooting himself, but yeah, Fisk calls at the right time and gives him an offer. And yeah, we see Felix Manning show up and take him for a ride. So yeah, yeah, just in time. And I, I think you're right. I think Fisk is, you know, now becoming his North star, uh, so to speak. And they're kind of aligning themselves. So, and he gives Dex basically a, a way to, to be himself. And I think we'll go into the next scene, you know, my, like, probably my favorite scene so far of, yeah, finally at the Bulletin. So just to kind of lead up to it, yeah, so Foggy and Matt are, are hanging out. They're waiting to, to you know, talk to, to Nadim and get everything situated Matt gives a, a caring gesture. He gives Foggy a wallet. There's no money in it, no uh, ID cards or anything. But <laughs> he does say he's going to put money in it. Yeah, or I think he said he would, but he hasn't. Yeah. So, or he owes a lot of rent to Karen now. So I think, uh, I think Matt's opening up a little bit, and he's kind of getting that, that friendship back a little bit, just a little bit of a nod there. Yes. So, but, yeah, of course things are, are not going well. So, yeah, Fisk's offer is basically, we haven't heard it explicitly, but Dex gets to, you know, dress up as Daredevil and just kill at will, just do whatever he wants. He can just use his skills and just have fun. And we see, so at the Bulletin right now, we have Karen, Ellison, and Jasper Evans. They catch, they hear, I'm going to call him Bullseye at this point. Uh, yes. We hear Bullseye outside, you know, wreaking havoc. So they're holed up in that room. Karen's got her gun out. And, yeah, Foggy, unfortunately. Well, hold on, you, you, you jumped up a lot. Like, you jumped a lot and missed it. So let me just go oh, back. Oh, yeah, what I missed. I'm you, getting so excited, dude. I love you got, you, got, you got very excited. So they're, uh, Foggy and Matt are sitting there, and uh, they're having a good time. They're catching up. And... Matt kind of stops. He freezes because he hears screams in the background. Foggy asks, do you hear something? And Matt's like, yeah. He uh, said, go get Karen. And then that's when uh, he, Foggy runs into like an office with a bunch of cubicles, and he sees a gentleman, a.k.a. Uh, Bullseye, dressed up as Daredevil. And he throws one of Daredevil's like side uh, – his oh. one of his – yeah, batons. That's a great word. He throws one of the batons at uh, Foggy and Matt. And his suit uh, with a, a scarf over his face, I'm assuming. Something, basically his black outfit. No, he wasn't in a suit. He was just in a black t-shirt. Black shirt with a black, a black scarf. jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Something covering his face. And he catches the baton that's thrown at Foggy. And Matt looks, because he's blind, kind of looks straight ahead and says, who are you? And that's when uh, Bullseye says, I'm Daredevil, which gave me goosebumps when it happened. I also want to... Oh, go ahead. Keep going. Go ahead. That, and that's when Foggy – and then uh, Matt tells Foggy to get out of here. That's when he runs into the room. He almost gets shot by Karen because it kind of startles her. And then that's when leads to the hand-to-hand combat by Daredevil and uh, Bullseye. But go ahead now. Oh, no. I just wanted to point out um, – so we were talking about how, you know, Agent Point Dexter has been hearing, you know, voices just echoing in his head this whole time. I yes. loved when – you know, he turns around, you know, as Foggy kind of walks in, 
voices are still going on in his head, but now he's starting to hear Fisk. And so, and then the voices end after, you know, Fisk's in his head says, you know, the real you. And we see, a, you know, a smile on Point Dexter's face. The voices stop. I think he's, at this point, shown that he's accepted who he is at this point. He is a, you know, a psychopathic killer, just doing it for fun. That's what, that's who he is. And yeah, then we see him throw this baton and yeah, enter in everything that you said. You look like you, you want to say something. I wanted to, uh, let me, st- I'll start off the whole fight. Well, this is okay. the first time that we're seeing the bullseye and daredevil fight, which is a good, it was a great fight for the first time of them fighting. It's nothing like the, uh, hallway fight scene. It's not like the staircase fight scene or even the hospital fight scene. It's just the camera straight on and it's just choreographed. It's amazing. There's, I don't remember if there's music in the background. Uh, Matt though is he's kicking uh, Bullseye's ass in his hand-to-hand fight. Bullseye looks like he doesn't stand a chance, and then all of a sudden that's when Bullseye kind of creates space, which gives him the advantage because that's when he starts throwing uh, computer monitors, pencils, uh, staple uh, staplers, snow globe, scissors, trash cans, and pins, and anything else he can get his hands on, just because you know he has that ability to make things bounce off other objects. And that's when uh, I felt, you know, Matt was at the most disadvantaged was at a distance. So for Matt to even looking like thinking later on in the show, if Matt wants any kind of, you know, victory against this bullseye character, he has to keep the battle up close and personal. Yeah, I think the choreography in this fight was just brilliant. And I, I would have to say this is my favorite fight scene so far that we've seen in the, we haven't, in the whole haven't, series or just this season uh that's too tough i gotta think back on it before i can commit that far but this was at least just for be, this season i would just say because one of the one of the better fight scenes that in the first season when that guy kind of kills himself when he's when as soon as he says wilson yeah. Fisk, he that's i think that's one of the most underrated fight scenes of the uh series so far but go that's ahead continue probably my at least one of my favorites from that season too i ever yeah. watched that one a bunch but yeah this one is is very high tier for me, very well choreographed. And it was just tense the whole time. You know, I just was worried for, for Matt. I mean, it's crazy. I love that they do display the difference between their fighting styles so well. Uh, you know, Bullseye is a good fighter, but he's, yeah, nothing compared to, to Daredevil here, who is just, you know, destroying him close range. But when we see Bullseye get some distance... He's, yeah, doing some crazy stuff. I mean, he's channeling his inner John Wick, you know, killing people with with pencil. (laughs) And it's crazy that (laughs) it's crazy that he is so terrifying with office supplies. And I love that they had this fight happen, you know, in the bulletin, just in a standard office where we're seeing Daredevil really, you know, fighting for his life, you know, against like pencils and scissors and and staplers like you said which is just crazy to see but yeah bullseye they did a great job of showing his his skill too i loved watching just whenever he was bouncing things off of walls and you know when he has that baseball and he bounces yes. off the wall and hits matt around a corner like it's just it's really crazy just whatever he can find and pick up he's just launching it around wherever and it's it's scary to watch i know my wife and i were watching it 
and she was like, oh my gosh, Matt, you know, get up. But it was, don't let him get any distance. It was just really <laughs> tense just watching it. Anytime, you know, Matt gets cocky and kicks him across the room, you're like, ooh, bad, bad move. You're about to get a, you know, a stapler to the head. And yeah, just really great fight. And I was surprised to see, you know, Bullseye ultimately, you know, knock Matt out. And yet again, Matt gets saved by, you know, um, what, police sirens. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I, that was rough. I really thought Matt had him for a while, but yeah, he ends up, Bullseye ends up winning. Do you have more on that fight? No, yeah, no. I, I, I do. Um, Let's hear it. Interesting that uh, Matt let some scissors get thrown into him, like basically in his one of the shoulders. I don't forget if it's the right or left, but it's basically in his shoulder. And he let it stay there the entire time uh, until basically the end of the episode, which he kind of left it in one of the uh, copy machines down in the basement, which gave me an idea that like Matt kind of uh, set it up to make it look like Matt Murdock got kidnapped by Daredevil. Which kind of exonerates him as Daredevil. Just because uh, if he was Daredevil, why would he stab himself? Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I don't I think he was just getting it, it out of there. That's um I still have some things in between there to talk about, but I really think Oh okay, go ahead then. Okay, so at least I think that is um you know when Bullseye goes into the room where Karen and them are in. Is that between those two moments? Yes, it is. I think they are. Okay, so I have, I think we'll have to, I have some speculation in this part too, because this hit me with a few different moments all in one. It was tough to kind of catch. But yeah, so after knocking out Daredevil, Bullseye, you know, hears the sirens and needs to get the job done. So he goes into the room with Karen, knocks the gun out of her hand, and... And, you know, also Foggy running up and throwing in a good two punches. I was Yeah, he got a good haymaker. He still got, yeah, he still got knocked to the side, knocking the camera over, which, by the way, it looked like that camera was recording. I don't yes. know if that'll be brought up at all. It didn't look like it was aimed towards anyone special. Maybe we'll see it kill Jasper Evans. But, yeah, it didn't look like it was aimed towards Bullseye, unless Foggy, you know, grabbed it and started filming stuff. But, <laughs> but yeah. World star. <laughs> yeah but the big things the big two things were first off it was like a blink and you miss it bullseye presumably kills ellison throws that yes. that one baton. shot to the head well it looked like it was in his stomach i think oh no 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 else i'm sorry yes ellison he, uh, he oh, does yeah he does hit ellison in the stomach and then uh jasper evans he shoots in the head real quick oh, we're yeah. speaking of we're speaking of uh ellison uh, I was looking his name up because I had completely forgot. But I, for a minute, I thought Ellison might be dirty just in this this episode because um, throughout the entire thing, he's been telling Karen, don't go after uh, Fisk. Don't go after Fisk, you know. And then all of a sudden, he's like, you did good bringing Ellison. Not Ellison. You brought, did good bringing Evans here. Let's go to this one particular room over here. And I just thought he might be dirty for a second. He still could be dirty later on, but he'll just be dirty with a gunshot wound in his stomach. But go ahead. I digress. Yeah, no, I I never got that vibe. I don't think he's dirty at all. I think they already played that hand in season one when, 
you know, Ben Urich thought he was in Fisk's pocket. But I think, yeah, this whole time he's been telling Karen not to go do all this stuff. But as we've seen plenty of times, Karen doesn't listen. Karen does whatever whatever she wants. So I think he's kind of just getting to the point. Because she always comes back with results. She always comes back with way more than he could ever do. So yeah. I think at this point he just accepts it. And he's kind of being more supportive. And he's like, okay, good job. You're you're, you're great. Yeah, you're doing way better than me. So, so yeah, I, I don't think he's aware of anything. And I definitely don't think he would have expected a baton, you know, going straight into his stomach. But, yeah, he just kind of falls to the ground. And we never see much of him again. And, you know, yeah, also Jasper Evans getting shot in the head totally wrecks, you know, Matt Murdoch's ace in the hole. Yeah, so... I don't know how that's going to play out now, especially they're going to be looking to see where Matt Murdock went to. And that, that helps my theory of why Matt left those scissors in him and walked all the way down to the basement where the copies of the newspaper are made. And then he kind of put those scissors strategically where they can be seen. So I will, I will get to that and we'll, we'll argue about that in a minute. Okay. <laughs> so, <go ahead. laughs> but, um, Another thing, so yeah, with with Ellison down, probably talk about that more too. But also a big thing, uh, Bullseye says, "Hey, Karen," you know, just nonchalant. Yeah. But we've they haven't met in at all that we've seen, have they? Um, I don't remember them meeting. Uh, it could have been. Um, yeah, I actually I don't remember them meeting at all. But that can be something as simple as we'll find out next episode that Wilson Fisk said Karen Page is going to be there and she is interviewing Jasper Evans. Or something – it could be something like really simplified later on in the series. It could be. It could be something small like that. Obviously, we, we're not going to know until we watch more. Watch it. But yeah. like – but yeah, but that got my like senses going crazy. It was like how – there must be something – Something interesting. Yeah. They wouldn't lay it up like that. You know, it must be Dex knows Karen somehow. It must be from her past, essentially, or because we haven't seen them talk in any any capacity. She's only talked to Nadim about Fisk. So well, she she's also you know uh, very like popular newspaper reporter. That's true. So so it could be something as simple as that too. It could be. I just, it seemed like something more, like, they, they could have just breezed by it. Or, you know, he, he kept her alive, too, which I think is interesting, because Bullseye, at this point, just is killing everybody without yeah. a care. I mean, he is kind of rushing out of there, but, I mean, he takes out Ellison, and he, you know, kills Evans, who was essentially his target the whole time. But, yeah, he, he gives that smirk to Karen, you know, almost kind of antagonizing like so i don't know it's interesting i'm I'm wanting to see what they're how he knows her because it just feels like there's more to it than than what we've gotten we'll definitely see it in another episode but i am wondering if they have some sort of background maybe not like a long thing but they must know each other in some way maybe you know something to do with her drug related maybe they were both seeing a similar therapist i have no idea but yeah, interesting to me, but yeah. Okay, so we'll get to we'll get to where you're wanting to go now. Is Matt walking downstairs yeah. into the basement like a zombie with scissors, just 
sticking out Hanging of Hanging through them, yeah. Oh, right before we hit that, um, mm-hmm. Bullseye dressed as Darrow escaped, and he had to fight a bunch of FBI agents to get out. And um, Raina Dean was asked, who was it? He said, Daredevil did it. Um, now, jumping to the part where I'm at basically the end of the episode, uh, Matt does walk to the basement with scissors stuck in him while and he's walking to the, through the basement while it's being actually being searched by fbi agents he doesn't confront none of them he just kind of avoids them hangs his scissors on one of the copy machines and then kind of just disappears and i thought that was just it's a theory that I'm, I'm working on here that and he did that so that it can somehow still exonerate him because Jasper Evans was his ace in the hole. Now he is dead because Foggy did tell him after he woke Matt from Mac up, woke Matt from being knocked out, and so Matt figured out I need another way to exonerate myself. So that's why he goes and hides the scissors over there because they're going to be found. It's odd that scissors are just hanging out in the copy machine, copy room. So I think uh, he's trying to make it look like uh, Daredevil aka bullseye kidnapped him and uh that's why and stabbed him and kidnapped him and that's why he left the scissors when you say copier you meaning like the like the printing press type yeah thing, the or? printing press okay. yes okay i was making sure so did he hang the scissors from it yes. or were they on the ground yeah. no, so no they he hung you, them. saw them yeah hanging okay yes sir okay so i'm with you a little bit more on that because i didn't notice that he that he intentionally hung them there I assume they were just on the ground. So the, the way that I took that scene was he went down in the basement to escape because all the cops were rushing up, you know, to where, like, Karen and, and Foggy and them oh, are. And then where, like, Jasper happened. Evans. Like, that's where the, the brunt of them are. So and then there were a few stragglers kind of clearing the basement. So it the way I took it was he was kind of hanging out on that one spot where he had a moment where nobody was going to reach him for a little bit enough time to get those scissors and that pencil out of him. You know, I think he had like a pencil in his leg or something. He might have. So I don't remember that. They, they looked like they were deep too. Cause you know, usually if it's in there, you know, it's pulling it out is like, yeah, just as damaging. So it, it seemed like he needed a good moment. And I think he even had the pencil in his mouth to kind of keep him from screaming, you know, grunting in pain. So it's, I took that to just be like, he needs to get those, things out of him in a somewhat safe place to kind of help him escape because i doubt he can maneuver around as well as he would like to with both of those sticking into him yeah there there may be more i don't know how it would exonerate him exactly are you saying that you know so basically what i mean is um he can't be daredevil because if daredevil kidnapped him it's like uh you can't you can't be smiling and being kidnapped by that person. Like it just doesn't make sense. Why would you kidnap yourself? Well, yeah, but the cops fought Daredevil or who they thought was Daredevil in the stairwell, and they didn't see him with anyone. I don't know if they'll maybe take the scissors and look for Matt Murdock's blood. Well, they're I mean, gonna it, run the blood. They have yeah, to run the blood. I would assume that they would think okay well matt murdoch was caught up in this attack just like foggy was but matt murdoch took some scissors yes, somewhere like, and but managed well, to slink off into the night well matt murdoch was there like i'm sure he was seen on security cameras and stuff and so you know i, I it's just 
It, it might not be true. It's just what I thought at the moment. No, no, it's, it, it could be something. And yeah, if we watch in like an episode or two and that's totally the case, yeah, we'll definitely say like, yeah, like, like you called it and all that. I'm not sure what, it's interesting that he is hung, that he did hang it from, from that, um, that little Print, generator or whatever. Yep. Yeah, the printing press. So yeah, maybe he was just very, feeling very orderly at that point. Didn't want everything on the floor. I don't know. That is interesting. That was something I didn't catch. So we'll see maybe what exactly his thought process is and where he's going from there because he's basically escaping, you know, from the cops and everything. But it's going to be starting off at square one. The cops are still going to be after Matt Murdock. Murdoch, now yeah. they're after Daredevil, too, except they're going to be going after a guy in a red suit. And yeah. But now Matt, you know, doesn't have Jasper Evans. He can't just you know, use that card and be set free and prove Fisk is a liar. And now he's got to go hide out, I'm assuming, you know, with Sister Maggie. But he's got all these all these wounds. He's got to, you know, figure out how exactly he's going to take on Bullseye. This Bullseye. is a totally new skill set. So I would, it would seem, how do you think he, he can take on Bullseye? Because obviously Matt's best up close and personal, but I get the feeling that we're going to get a lot of, fights in open areas and places where you know bullseye uh, can use his skills yeah exactly and in that uh locker too when you were talking about the guns i noticed he had like some shuriken you know like some throwing stars yeah i wonder if we'll see those introduced as well um the only way matt's gonna win is like i said earlier he's got to keep it up close and personal um he can't let there get any kind of distance between him and bullseye once he does, then, like, Bullseye has the advantage. Yes. And I, I think I think Daredevil is one of the few people that can actually take on a character like Bullseye. Because I think all the, you know, feeling the vibrations, sensing heartbeats, and what people yeah. are doing really Very gives him those... Stuff through the air stuff. Yeah, it gives him that little bit of an edge, you know, anticipating, you know, what's being thrown and bouncing off, like, three different walls to hit him. You know, so I think Matt will be slightly more prepared next time just because he'll expect for just some crazy shit to be bouncing all over the place at him be like dodgeball or something so yeah so i am hoping he'll be more successful in their next fight but i don't know how much time he's going to need to recuperate i mean it's, it's weird to think I, he took some some big hits and those cuts were pretty deep so oh definitely uh, once he gets down to Sister Maggie, I'm sure she's just going to sew him up and he'll be back out there. He's used to, you know, getting hurt and getting right back out of there on the fight. Just like in episode two of season one, he got shot multiple times and he was back out there, which created the best fight scene, I think, of the series. The hallway yeah. fight scene. So. Oh, yeah. Also, um, you know, back to Ellison. Do you think he's alive? Absolutely, yeah. Ellison's alive. You think so? Cause yeah. It, it, at the end, we see, you know, Karen just sitting there, like, waiting for the demon there. She's just sitting on the chair next to Ellison, you know, like, slumped over on his side. He's not moving or anything. It's just no, weird. I, I think Ellison's alive. I um, Ellison has a pretty important part. Like, it's not an important part, but it is. I think that uh, there's nobody that, you know, can become the editor of that newspaper Karen can't because I think she hasn't had enough experience on that thing, so they wouldn't promote her right away. I feel like 
they have to keep Ellison there. He's probably just going to be, you know, out for a little bit. Yeah, I, yeah, it just, it seems weird just the way it's set up. I would assume that he's alive too, just using clues from like a storytelling aspect of, you know, they're usually, you know, Karen has got to be feeling guilt because this is like the second time this has happened. Essentially, you know, her investigation got Ben Urich killed and now her investigation potentially has gotten Ellison killed. So, you know, she's got to be feeling guilt along along those lines. She's kind of like the, the bulletin's curse, you know, just people are dying around her. But, yeah, I didn't think of her as the bulletin's curse. Yeah, that may be a little bit extreme, but she's definitely, you know, bringing danger that way. And or at least that's what she's got to be thinking in her mind is this is yeah. uh, repeating itself. But from like a storytelling aspect, we haven't really got the exposition you would expect to get from a character that's about to have a big death. You know, usually there's like a lot of like heartfelt stuff. There's a lot of, you know, emotions that make you really care for that character at that moment. We've mostly just been getting, you know, some of that. It's just more him trying to keep Karen safe and kind of slightly supporting her. He's just kind of shown up here and there. And for a character that's been, he has, a, would say, a moderately big role, enough that his death should have Could a little bit something. more of an impact. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't just be like a, you know, the, the second time I watched this episode, I was so caught up in, you know, expecting, like trying to watch for Dex talking about, you know, saying hi to Karen and like what he's doing to Jasper Evans and Foggy, that I totally even missed that Ellison took that baton to the stomach. So it's it's just so so quick and gone. It just seems really odd that it would be like that. So I think he's got to be alive. He's probably going to do that thing where he's in the hospital and he makes like a, you know, a miraculous recovery His type recovery. thing or he's just yep. knocked out. But it's still odd that Karen's like sitting next to him if he's alive and she's just kind of, you know, just chilling. I hope it's yeah. all right. But, but yeah, so... I, I think he's got a. I think he might be back, or at least I hope so. I'm, Do you I'm have any you. more uh, speculation? You know, no, at the end of episode I've, uh, six, we're kind of like halfway. Yeah, we've hit the uh, little under halfway mark. Um, it's just getting good. Uh, we're finally seeing Daredevil be Daredevil. Not excuse me, Bullseye be Bullseye, killing like he wants. Uh, I just can't wait to see Bullseye. Get at it more. I can't wait to see the next fight uh, between Daredevil and Bullseye. Yeah, I'm really excited, too. For me, every episode is just topping the other one. This was the like definitely my favorite fight and probably my, my favorite episode so far. Although episode five is a close runner-up. I really love that, that full Bullseye episode. Yeah. But I'm yeah, I'm really interested to see where Bullseye goes from here because honestly, you know, I couldn't avoid trailers and a lot of the trailers kind of showed some of these moments up to episode six. And these were kind of moments that I was waiting to see. So the rest of this I'm hoping should be, you know, all fresh things that I'm not expecting. So I'm excited to see that as well. But um but yeah, it's this could go any which way. I'm really excited to see this. This series has been phenomenal so far. I see why people are saying season three of Daredevil is the best Marvel Netflix, you know, season of all of them. 
Uh, I'm feeling the same way, at least so far. We'll see how that goes throughout the whole series. But yeah, yeah um, I agree. Yeah, I still have a lot of questions, you know, halfway. I'm still, I'm still hoping for Electra to show up. I'm still going to stay optimistic there. We haven't heard her since episode one. But, um, and then also Vanessa. I'm hoping to see Vanessa pop up because we've been hearing yeah, we about her. Talk. He did bit. tell her to tell her to bring him closer to home too. Yeah, exactly. Which is interesting. I would think he would want to keep her further uh, away, a little bit distance. But yeah, he's, he's yeah. probably feeling like she's safest by his side, like he had said uh, in a prior season. I think season one. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's mostly a lot of characters that I'm interested in seeing. I think Matt needs to get a new suit to help him against Bullseye. He needs some more armor, especially yeah. since Bullseye's got some armor. Uh, Daredevil has none. I think he needs to visit Melvin Potter, even though we'll see whose side Melvin's on, because I'm assuming he's the one that made Bullseye's Daredevil suit to begin with, since the previous one was destroyed in Midland Circle. I agree. Um, yeah, I think we've hit all the points, man. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that's everything that I mainly had to talk about with this. Mm-hmm. Um is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we close out? Uh, go follow me on YouTube.com slash Tyler Johnson Vlogs, like always. Yes, you can follow Tyler there. I have no plugs. No surprise, plugs. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> All but right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's us. That's the Daily Bugle signing out. Yeah, so you can expect us to come back, you know, again next Saturday with, you know, our follow-up. We're still going to be going through this. We're talking – Episodes 7 and 8, I'm excited to get back into it. Um, as you can tell, we are a new podcast. We're still getting getting up and going, so you can expect more. I know we're looking at trying to take in user questions soon, and I think we're going to have to start up a Facebook page here soon, too, try to just get a little bit of a community. Um, yeah, just for um, if people are listeners right now, if you have questions, we don't have anything official right now, um, you can go... I have my Twitter. It's, it's the uh, T underscore A underscore J. So it's the Taj and Taj is kind of underscored out. If you have a question, you can just ask me. My profile's open. So if you have a question about our podcast or about something we said or you have a theory of your own, you can just you can always tweet me right there. Yeah, or on one of my YouTube videos. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying we'll um, we're definitely trying to you know trying to get more more official. We're really enjoying this. It's fun. We're doing this all for free right now, so it's a little bit of a slow-to-start thing. But you can expect us to keep coming back, and, yeah, we're getting those wheels in motion. And as soon as we have those things up, you will know, and, yeah, we'll start getting people involved. So, yeah, we're excited, and, yeah, thanks for for being along with us. Yeah, so keep an eye out for us next Saturday on Episodes 7 and 8. Yeah, um, I completely agree. So that's us, the Daily Bugle, signing out. We're the Weekly Bugle. There's another podcast called the Daily Bugle. No, that's Newspaper and Spider-Man. My bad. The (laughs) Weekly Bugle, signing out. Weekly Bugle. Take care, everyone. Peace out.